You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Listen as your day unfolds. Challenge what the future holds. Hello, hello, it's Brooke DeVard, and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. I am recording this introduction for you guys in Miami. I am heading to the convention center to see some art for Art Basel, and there's some parties and events here, and I'm just very excited. I haven't had a little mini vacation slash break with my husband for a long time, so it should be really fun. And I wanted to Have you guys listened to this throwback episode with my dermatologist who I've been going to since I was like 16 years old, Dr. Elena Jones. We recorded this before she worked with Pharrell to release Human Race, which is his skincare line. I love that humidifying cream. People have been asking me what's a good winter moisturizer. It is the humidifying cream from Human Race. It's unscented, but it just lasts all day. Like it is the best, just no frills moisturizer. Anyway, Dr. Jones has been treating patients like me and Pharrell for many, many years, and she is a Black dermatologist, and it was just such an honor to have her come on the show and just drop so much skincare knowledge. So this is a repeat of that episode. If you've heard it before, I promise I learn things every time I listen. And if you are new to this episode, sit back and get excited about all the information coming your way. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. I will be back next week with a brand new episode. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I'm joined here by Dr. Elena Jones. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Good evening. You've been my dermatologist for, well, you saw my mom and then me, but it's been probably since I was 15, so like 15 years, which is really crazy. Do you have a lot of longtime patients? I do. And that's what I actually love about my practice. I do tend to see families. I start off with the parents and then I see the children. And then sometimes we go on to cousins and even, you know, grandkids. So it's awesome. I that's, actually saw your brother too. Oh, oh my gosh. That's, that's so right. Actually, I, and your dad. Yes. I feel like I'm always harassing my, my brother just doesn't wear sunscreen and it drives me crazy. I like buy, I'm like, just put it on in the morning. And I'm like, are you using your sunscreen? And he's like, oh, I thought I put that on at night. I'm like, but no, not at yeah. How? Well, how did you think that? Okay. I'm so curious your, your path in terms of being a dermatologist. Mm-hmm. 
So my path was a rather unusual path in that I started off as a pediatrician. Okay. Um, I really believe that my mother was, I all along knew that I wanted to be a physician. Okay. I think it was because of my mother, because I think she was really whispering in my ear from a very young age, you will be a doctor, you will be a doctor. And I think the only reference that I had from a young age was my pediatrician, because I loved mm. the rapport that he had with us as a family. Where did um, you grow up? I, New York. I grew okay. up in New York so City. you in New York. Okay. Once I got to medical school, I still thought that I really wanted to be a pediatrician and everything that I did was to be a pediatrician. So I initially applied to pediatrics at NYU, Okay. completed my residency, three years of residency at NYU, took my boards and peds. But really around the second year of my residency, I decided, you know what, hmm, maybe I need to look into something else because I, I there's NYU has an amazing dermatology department Okay. and I was able to visit some of their clinics and I was really just fascinated by dermatology at that point. So my end of my second year, I applied to dermatology and I was just very grateful and very lucky to get a, a residency spot. So I com- literally June 30th, I completed uh, pediatrics and July 1st, I started dermatology residency in New York. And was it a diverse group of women? I mean, I, I shared the article with you about how few black dermatologists there were. Did you feel that when you were starting? Oh, Totally. Okay. Especially in New York City. And sadly, in New York City, each program had about one to two black dermatologist residents. Out of how many? Oh, out of, depending on the size, some programs were eight, other programs were like 11, okay. but, you know, one. And I was really the only one. I think I was the only one that they've ever had, to tell you the truth. Wow. So, and I, my friend at Sinai, she was the one that they had, she was the only one that they had ever had. Okay. Luckily, nowadays, it's far better. I think NYU presently has at least three to four Black women who they, who will be graduating from the program. Okay, that's good. Progress. Yes. Slow but steady progress. Yes. And what, I guess, attracted you to skin as something to study and treat people for? You know, I think what, what I loved about First of all, what I loved about dermatology is really was the, was the total body. You know, really, skin is the largest organ. Yeah. And, you know, it was a chance for me to treat people who are generally happy and generally healthy. And I could treat hair problems. I can treat nail, nail problems. I can treat skin cancers. I was able to do procedures, you know. Right. So I, that's what I loved about dermatology. And that was just fascinating to me. Really, I mean, in medicine, at least in my experience, I really think you want to pursue a specialty that really kind of comes easy to you, that you're excited to learn about. Right. And, and I was always excited to learn about dermatology. And everything's so connected, right? Like if you have a health issue, that's you're going to see it in your skin, you're going to see it in your hair, in your nails, as you said. It's it's kind of like the most physically obvious sign of health, your skin. That's exactly right. Certainly a window to what's going on inside. So growing up, did you have a good skincare routine? Like was your, was from your mom, like how, what was your relationship with your skin growing up? Right. You know what? So I probably didn't take, didn't pay much attention to my skin growing up. However, I must say that when my teen years hit, I certainly begged my mother to take me to a dermatologist. Oh, really? Yeah. And I was very fortunate. We found a great, he was an older white gentleman, but he really knew and cared about black skin. And that was really important that he really cared about my skin. He knew the nuances of black skin, Mm -hmm. you know, and that our skin is a little bit more, you know, things that happen to us may look a little bit more inflamed than in white skin. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I really appreciated his guidance and help. Was there an issue that made you like, were you having the the usual teenage acne situation? Totally the usual teenage acne. And probably wasn't even that, you know, that horrible. But to me, it was as it is to most teens. And so when you see teenagers now that come in and feel like their entire world is going to collapse because they have acne, you can commiserate. Totally commiserate, totally relate and totally want to help them in any way possible. And the thing about acne, and so I put on my Instagram that I was talking to you and I just got flooded with so many comments. People are so excited to get their questions answered. But I had so many questions about cystic acne and like women being like, I'm in my 30s, I'm in my 40s and I'm still getting breakouts. Like I thought this was going to be over. You know, I think one of the mistruths about acne is we all think that once we end, leave our teen years, acne will end. That's not the case at all. You know, acne is all about hormones, all about changing hormones. And we are seeing more and more adult acne nowadays. And cystic acne is definitely very difficult to treat, but it can be treated. And is that when people kind of go more towards the Accutane and like the hardcore? Yeah. 
you know, Accutane gets a bad, gets bad press, but it really is the best medicine out there, I think, in terms of acne. Really? It really offers a cure for most people. And, and, and you know, and the side effects really are minimal. You just have to drink a lot of water, right? Exactly, because yeah. you are definitely dry. Your lips are dry. Your skin is dry. Mm. But it really, it affords 75% of people are really a cure for their acne, meaning never having to use anything again. Wow. It must be so satisfying and gratifying to be able to give people these cures because it, it changes your life, right? It, it totally changes their life. Accutane is, I think really it's one of the medicines that really I, I enjoy giving to patients, although I have to encourage a lot of people to take it, but it really is a life changer for many people. When most of your, I mean, how many clients do you see generally and, and kind of when they come to you, are they like in a state of despair or, or are some people just being good and diligent and doing kind of routine check-ins? So I see a number of patients in a day. My day can, you know, vary from 30 to 50 patients in a day. And yes, I see patients in all stages. There are some that are just in utter despair, have seen other physicians and have not gotten the answers they were looking for, or some that really are just coming in to, you know, to prepare themselves for for a skincare routine. Sure. I know I saw you before I did uh, my wedding because I was like, what are all the things? Like, I want a chemical peel. I want lasers. I want all this stuff. And you were like, okay, slow down. That's right. You don't have to do all this stuff. Like your your skin looks fine. But we did do, I think we did lasers, right? Because I had that horrible treadmill accident. Exactly. We did do lasers. So to fill the audience in, uh, before my wedding, like very close to my wedding, I had a ho- I fell on a treadmill in a tank top and I was like pressed against the moving belt and it just basically like skinned my back and my shoulders. And so we did lasers and then you gave me the hydroquinone, which is like um, a bleaching cream. It is a bleaching agent, yes. And it's so, bleaching has such a negative, I mean, for good reason, Traditional bleaching creams have like a really bad connotation because a lot of in a lot of countries, including here in the United States, including in New York, some women are doing like full face bleaching, full face, full body. You're right. I mean, in those people, I really worry about not yeah. only that they're getting illegal bleaching agents from bodegas or from their countries. Yeah. And what people don't realize is that you cannot use a bleaching agent for a long period of time. Right. Because then you get, you can get a reverse discoloration or hyperpigmentation. Mm-hmm. In addition, you really get this awkward appearance to the skin. If you And these are people who are using it for years. Yeah. And that skin texture, tone, and color never comes back. Really? It's, it's really, it, it's, I hate it when I see it because it really, it, it just, it's, it's alarming. It's yeah. disconcerting. But some of, some people are really addicted to mm-hmm. trying to lighten their skin, not realizing that they're not lightening their skin in the manner in which they think they would like. Right. I mean, it, it's sort of comparable to, and I see it more in Europe, but when you see older people that have spent their entire lives like sun worshiping and like they kind of have that Louis Vuitton bag texture, That's right. that kind of very bronzed, leathery skin. And it's like those, you know, few summers being tan and beautiful. Was it worth it for this? Right. Right. Yeah. What's sad about that? There's some who like the look, you know, because I yeah. definitely have, you know, some older patients that who love that raisin look. And I, I just can't understand why. Really? And obviously they're putting themselves at risk for skin cancers. Yes. So your patients range in what's like your youngest patient? Oh, I see newborns. Oh I'll, I'll see, you know, first week of life or, you know, what, you know, and I think that that speaks to my pediatrics background. Yeah. But my oldest patient, I think, was 100. So I, oh I, I you know, I see the gamut. I think that's another aspect about dermatology that I like, that I can really see all ages yeah. in a day. And meet all these different types of people. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, I read on Into the Gloss, says I was just, because I love Into the Gloss, and Pharrell did his interview, and he was like, my doctor, Dr. Elena Jones. And I was like, wait, what? What? That's what? That's my dermatologist. That's your dermatologist? And of course, Pharrell is known for having like the most, incre- I mean, there's, people don't even think he's a human being because he hasn't aged. But like, some, like, does he come to your office or do you do private clients as well? Right. So, you know, a little bit of both. He okay. certainly comes to my office. Okay. Um, and certainly there are times... On, on 86th Street, on right 80- there in Upper East Side. Yeah, exactly. okay. I've never seen him in the waiting room. Oh, well, it's a shame because he definitely is there <laughs> okay, with, with, know. You know, with his people and he's yeah. very kind and very gracious to, to patients when he's there. But um, yeah, Pharrell is special in that, you know, genetics always, you know, also plays a role in, in, in good skin. Of but, course. He's, but he's also very diligent and serious about just taking care of his skin. Yeah. And I also think probably for celebrities and people in the public spotlight. There's just a whole 
extra level of pressure and discernment because every time they go outside, someone is going to photograph them and someone's going to have something to say. And I can't even imagine what that must be like to feel like your skin has to be perfect 365. Exactly. It's a lot of pressure. It is a lot of pressure. So the point about black dermatologists, people were also very excited that I was speaking to a black dermatologist because it is so rare. Do you think that is just something that over time we'll see more black dermatologists? You know what? I think we the struggle will continue. Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, we're, there are not, en- not enough black physicians in general. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of, you know, obstacles that are placed for black students in terms of pursuing medicine, mm-hmm. in terms of pursuing a residency, you know, um, and I think sometimes we allow ourselves to place that obstacle in front of us, you know, as opposed to just staying, you know, focused, staying engaged, you know, and doing all that you can to pursue if you're interested in a a specialty like dermatology. And I know you see white patients. So, and presumably they're, you know, incredible dermatologists that are white that can treat black skin. But what, like, what should people look for? So a lot of people ask me, how do you find a black dermatologist? Is there like a, a resource or network for that? Or is it just about asking the right questions so that they understand how melanated skin is different? Right. Well, the first thing, there is a website, uh, blackdermatologist.org. Oh, gosh. So, Very yeah, great. so that's that's one place that you can begin. You can call the National Medical Association. They tend to have a list of black dermatologists. Sometimes you can call the American Academy of Dermatologists. They may have a list of some of the, you know, black dermatologists, but also word of mouth, you know, word of mouth, Instagram, you know, all the social media. Well, so you have an Instagram account, but not active. Not at all. Okay. So guys don't, she's there, but she's not going to be in in your DMs, but you have appointments. You're bookable. Right. Yeah. You know, I have to admit that lately I've been a bit of a dinosaur in terms of, you know, social media. You know, I'm from a different era and I have been lax in just pursuing social media. Totally fine. Fortunately, fortunately for me, uh, word of mouth really has has worked. And, you know, and as I said, seeing families. And I think that also speaks again to my pediatric background. I just love that. I love knowing the entire family and treating the entire family and watching the family grow and get married. Yeah. And then also I'm sure you see some interesting connections genetically, right? Because like if you see the mom's skin and the dad's skin and then the child's skin, it's like, okay, you're like, okay, you got this from your dad, you got this from your mom. Totally. I mean, that's that's definitely part of my, you know, questioning. You know, you want to know, you know, what what runs in the family, you know, certainly with hair conditions, sometimes with skin conditions, eczema tends to be one that runs in families. Yes. And I'm so happy you brought up hair stuff because I remember you told me a long, long time ago, but I've always always kept this in mind because I do a lot of protective styles, braids. And I said, okay, is it damaging my hairline? And you said, as long as you're changing up the part, like you said, as long as you're not always pulling it back or always doing, putting tension on the same spot, then it's fine. Exactly. That's certainly better. I mean, I'm still not the biggest fan of braids because we really have to be careful. Braids Mm. are just always done too tightly. You know, and and they do need to be changed frequently, probably more frequently than people would like because we've spent a lot of money, you know, and uh, 15 hours. Well, that's exactly what's free. How frequently do you think braids should be changed? You know, I'm afraid for this answer. I know. (laughs) You know what? To be fair to everyone, to be fair to your time, to be fair to your money, at least monthly to six weeks. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm within that range. Yeah. Okay. good. Good. Yeah. I know some people keep styles in for three months. I don't for various reasons, some of it just being like, I just want to change it up. But yeah, when when you do keep a style in for that long, though, what are you risking? So you're risking traction alopecia. You're not mm. you're not really cl- cleansing the scalp as well as you can. So mm. you're, you're, you're certainly going to develop something called seborrheic dermatitis, which is really like flakes on the scalp and itching. And, mm. you know, you, you just you're not cleansing the scalp. The scalp is not as healthy as it can be, you know, when you can fully wash the hair and the scalp together. Yeah. And what about relaxers versus putting heat on hair? I've I've heard various things. Do you have a, a strong opinion? Yeah. So, you know, I'm a relaxed person. I have okay. been a relaxed person since age five. So <laughs> rarely went natural. Maybe in medical school for a bit, I went natural. So the answer really is that relaxers are not the enemy. You know, it has to be properly applied by a professional. Right. Lie versus no lie really doesn't matter. Probably I would say no lie might actually be a little bit more drying and irritating you know, to the hair. It's so it's fascinating to me how relaxer has suddenly become very demonized because 
I have natural hair, but I color my hair. I have blonde highlights and I know, I mean, lots of chemicals go into making my hair, my very dark hair blonde. And for some reason that's like kind of considered okay and cool, but like relaxers bad. And it's just, it's strange to me that people want to like divide harsh chemicals like that. It, it is, it is a shame because, you know, as I said, relaxers are not necessarily the enemy, right. you know, I mean, I'm relaxed and I'm also dyed blonde. So, right. you know, I mean, and your hair looks really I, healthy and great. Thankfully, I've, I still have a head full of hair. You know, you, you, we also have to realize that with natural styles, a lot of times we're pulling them straight too often right. with flat irons. So applying too much tension, too yeah. much heat. Yeah. Less is better. Just, yeah. you know, letting the hair, you know, twist it and let it go. Yes. Yes. Like me now. But then I sometimes I feel self-conscious. Like, oh, it's so frizzy and I can't control it. But c'est la vie. Exactly. <laughs> so, so when people are looking for a dermatologist race aside, what are the things that they should be looking for other than do they take my health insurance? <laughs> right, right. I mean, you really do want to look for someone that you can at some point develop a rapport and a relationship mm-hmm. with, someone that cares about your skin and cares about you, mm-hmm. you know, as, as a total as a total person, mm-hmm. you know, and that could come in white, black or whatever. Right. But I mean, culturally, I think we as black dermatologists, we do understand our skin better. Right. You know, and I think we care a little bit more. And part of that, too, is just we just know it. We've lived it. Right. You know, a lot of the white physicians, unfortunately, if they didn't see a black patient in residency, they really know little about our hair. Yeah. They really know little about, you know, the fact yeah, that we tend to hyperpig. Right. Yes. You know, and we do have, you know, we have um, conventions where there are lectures and some attend. And they learn as much as they can, but it really is just living it, knowing it, seeing it. Absolutely. And hyperpigmentation was one of the biggest, biggest questions that I got over and over and over again. What can be done for hyperpigmentation? What do you think is the most effective treatment? So hyperpigmentation. So first of all, in our skin, any little discoloration is magnified. Right. Or any little, I should say, any little inflammation is magnified. So really, hyperpigmentation starts with cleansing. You know, you so you can start with a liquid exfoliator and a cleanser. You can certainly use a chemical exfoliator, like a chemical peel. Mm -hmm. So a salicylic acid peel tends to Mm -hmm. be great for hyperpigmentation. Probably a little bit better than glycolic acid peels, but certainly glycolic will work as well. Um, And then there are physical exfoliators like microdermabrasion. Mm -hmm. That certainly helps. There are lasers that help. Radiofrequency microneedling or microneedling alone sometimes. I'm so fascinated by microneedling. Like I think I may need to book an appointment because I have heard that it is like the results are immediate. The results are immediate, but sometimes you do need to do it more than once. You know, the effects to be long term. Exactly. I mean, when you leave, you certainly your skin is glowing. It looks amazing. It's been attacked. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So it's been slightly inflamed. Slightly inflamed looks looks good. Yeah, looks good. Yeah. But in terms of like topical treatments for hyperpigmentation, I mean, I've I've used the hydroquinone to like spot treat when I had um, like scars and I'm so good about picking. I, if, if I see something coming, I just let it go. Like I, I don't, it. I just, because I know, I already know, even if I don't touch it, I could have a scar. And that's exactly right. So I'm definitely not going to touch it. Right. But, you know, you get marks all the time. Mm-hmm. Do you think hydroquinone is like the most effective? I think it is one of the most effective. Okay. So you, certainly you've touched upon an important point. Do not pick. That's really yes. rule number one. You really have to leave it alone. And that's yeah. really tough because as you said, sometimes even if you don't touch, it's still hyperpigments. Yeah. So I do tend to like hydroquinones. I mean, I use them for a short period of time. Right. Um, and there are many different strengths of hydroquinone. You know, there's over-the-counter strength of 2%, but you can go up, you know, usually prescription strength is where I start at 4%. Okay. But you can go up to as high as 8% or 10%, you can combine it with other agents and it makes it that much more potent. Okay. And what are what are some good over-the-counter hydroquinone like that people could just get at a drugstore? Yeah, you know what? One of my favorites really tends to be Ambi. And, okay. I, you know, the Ambi Fade Cream, I like it because it has an SPF of 30 in it. Okay. So that's also protecting the skin. Yeah. I just, I just interviewed someone who swears by that product. Yeah, yeah it's a, it's, it continues to be a great product. And the SPF is important because I also didn't realize that if you're not wearing sunscreen, your hyperpigmentation like intensifies, right? It like certainly dark can increase. Exactly. Yeah. And that's exactly right. So that's why 
number one rule is sunscreen, sunscreen, sunscreen every single day, at least an SPF 30. And you also need to reapply it. If you're going to be walking around, you know, the city or wherever you are, you know, between the hours of 10 and 2, you really need 10 and 3 even, you really need to reapply. That's somewhat unrealistic for some people, you know. Well, but now they make these spray on sunscreen. I mean, there's so there's been I just interviewed the president of Supergoop and she brought me like 12 different types of sunscreen. And I was like, yeah, there's really no excuse anymore. There really isn't. They're powders, powdery sunscreen. Exactly. You're right. You're right. So and and also I feel like chemical sunscreens have come so far in terms of like no white cast. And so are, do you because some people say chemical sunscreens are great, but if you want true protection, you need to do a physical. Do you physical sunscreens are certainly better? They are okay. better, and that's really where you want to go. And they're all, they're also safer. So you really want to look for your micronized titanium dioxide okay. or micronized zinc oxide, okay. and that tends to give you less of that ashen hue. Okay, I've been opting for chemical sunscreen pretty much all summer because I've been using a clear one. Is that like, am I am I doing a disservice to my skin? You're not doing a disservice okay. to your skin, and we need sunscreen. Yeah, just that, period. We we really do, and I think that's one of the the myths that people of color, black people, we we just do not wear enough sunscreen. Don't think we need sunscreen. Don't think we can burn. Don't think we can get skin cancer, and we can get skin cancer. Of course, yeah. I mean, sometimes I feel like skincare sometimes is intentionally confusing in terms of the way the beauty industry positions so many things, because when you feel so lost and so unclear about what's what, it's like easier for them to market you stuff that you don't necessarily need. How do you feel about the way the beauty industry positions skincare? Because I'm sure it's like kind of frustrating as a dermatologist. I'm just guessing. No, it is frustrating, especially since my message generally is keep it simple. You know, you really want to prepare the skin. You want to protect the skin and then you want to repair the skin. Mm. The way we prepare the skin is in our cleansers. So you can have some sort of exfoliating cleanser. The way you want to protect the skin is where really with your sunscreens. And the, where, the way you want to repair the skin in the evenings is with your antioxidants, your vitamin Cs, your retin-As. You know, yes. so, you know, it's not about all these masks and, you know, and serums all the time, you know, I mean. I love that stuff too, but yeah. yeah no, and people do, people overdo it. And I, I mean, and I, I give credit to the beauty industry because they've done a, a wonderful job of marketing, but not all of these things are necessary. Right. And, the, and now there are all these people I've been reading about that are damaging their skin barrier. That's right. Because they're like loading up all of these different like acids onto your face every night and then their skin's all confused and the pH level's all off. That's exactly right. So that's why we really want to simplify. Right. So do people, do you sometimes advise people to do less? Like, are you sometimes editing skin? Oh, all the time. I mean, patients come into me all the time with bags full of products. I mean, (laughs) you know, 10 products. I mean, literally. And I I really, you know, when I go through each product and I say, you don't need this, you don't need this. You know, let's stick to possibly three. Yeah. But you know what? I I do think that's a good tip to bring in. I've, I've brought you products before to ask because I think sometimes, you know, you don't know what all of these ingredients are. Sometimes it feels like you're reading in a different language. So you're like, what is this? Does this really work? Right. No, and I think that is a good tip. Certainly you can, you know, bring in your products to your dermatologist for them to go over it with you. Yeah. Um, but the other thing too is just yourself. Look at the ingredients. Yes. If they're oh like God. 20 or 30 ingredients, that's... And you don't know what any of them and you are. Don't, yeah. Or you can't pronounce them. Yeah. Nah, you don't need yeah. it, you know? Fewer ingredients. Absolutely. I mean, half of my skincare is in the refrigerator. I use evening primrose oil. I'm going to say, be careful with that. That tends to, that can, that can be an allergen. So meaning causing like a contact dermatitis or irritating the skin. So that's a very common irritant. So be careful. So it's interesting. Rosehip oil made me break out horribly and everyone like loved rosehip oil, but then evening primrose oil, I was fine. You know what it is? Sometimes it's over time. So I still say, I still caution you to be careful. Okay. Okay. How do you feel about, I know a lot of essential oils can be very controversial. So a lot of people will mix a carrier oil with like tea tree oil to do spot treatments. My skin tends to be fine with like frankincense. My skin's totally fine. Lavender, my skin's fine. But then certain other oils that I'm not even expecting to be a problem, I put them on my skin and it's like immediate breakout. And that's what it is. It's, it's trial and error. And it also yeah. depends, on, depends on your skin type. Oily skins, I seldom recommend any sort of oil that remains on the skin. Really? Okay. So many people with oily skin wrote in with so many questions. I 
can't relate at all because my skin is very dry. So I'm constantly trying to put moisture in. I'm like layering. I always want to look dewy. People that are like, what's the best mattifying? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like my mind just doesn't even go there because my skin is just dry. My, my skin on my face is dry. My skin on my body's dry. I feel like my hair gets really dry. Like I just feel like I'm an overall dry person. But a lot of people that have written to me and even like my mom who says she has like very oily skin are trying to figure out how do I hydrate my skin? How do you deal with oily skin? And I'm surprised to hear that you say you have oily skin because your skin looks perfect. Well, I'm super oily, but I, I'm mattified. Okay. To... So, so, so how, do, what is, what makes skin oily or dry? Oily skin is based on the sebaceous glands. Sebaceous glands certainly make them more oily. Okay. And obviously if you have Smaller sebaceous glands, they're less okay. oily or dry. What are sebaceous glands? Oh, I'm sorry. Sebaceous <laughs> oily, oil-producing glands. They're okay. oil-producing glands. And they're just kind of like under the surface they're of the under skin? under the surface of the skin. They certainly are the bane of existence for acne-prone, for, for acne. Okay. And is there anything you can do to change those? No, there's okay. nothing you can do. Interestingly enough, though, you said that Accutane actually shrinks the size of the oil glands. So okay. that's an amazing you know, again, an amazing medicine, but unfortunately we're not going to use it for to shrink oil glands. Okay. So for people that have oily skin, but obviously want to say have their skin be hydrated. And also I feel like I've recently learned that there's a difference between hydrated skin versus, is it maybe hydrated versus moisturized or if, oh, if your skin is dry or if your skin's dehydrated, it's two different things. So could you help me understand that a bit, a bit a better? Bit. Yes, yeah. sure, sure. So first of all, I'd say hydrated skin is, is skin that is based certainly someone who's drinking enough, a lot of water. Yes. Someone who's using a moisturizer or some sort of hyaluronic acid. Hyaluronic acid is a great um, yes. product that moisturizes the skin. Dehydrated skin could be skin that really has been stripped of its moisture by, by, by sun, mm-hmm. by excessive use of products. Yep. But the treatment would be the same, hydrating again. Okay. And so for people with oily skin, are there, do they have to approach moisturizing and hydration differently? Certainly. You know, oily skin, you want to tend to use more water-based okay. um, moisturizers. There's certainly mattifying gels that are okay. available. Any that you recommend? Like you any know, brands? To, you know, I tend to like a brand called OC8. Okay. OC8 mattifying gel. I mean, it, letter um, number eight. Yes. Okay. OC8 number eight. Yes. And it's a, you know, it, it, it does the job. It doesn't do the, the best job. Sadly, there really is nothing yet for, for truly oily skin for, you know, um, getting rid of the oil. We're working on it. It just hasn't been, hasn't been created yes. yet. And isn't it true that people with oily skin technically age a little bit better too? I, I think so. Right. Okay. I think so people I can think so. can rest assured that that's that's the case. Why do you think it is that people may not seek out a because I think I understand cost and I like I'm grateful that I have a job that gives me health insurance so that I can. But some people, dermatologists like aren't covered on their health insurance, so they have to pay out of pocket. But I would argue personally that. If you're going to spend a bunch of money buying stuff anyway for your skin, you might as well go to a professional who can help you. I, I totally agree with you on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, again, I guess people are worried about other issues and need to spend the money in other places, you know, and skin care sometimes is last on the list. Yeah. Um, it is, you know, it is, it's a travesty that, you know, it's skincare and even preventative skincare is sometimes not covered. I mean, it's really, it's mm. really frustrating for me as a physician dealing with insurance companies and they don't want to cover, you know, a total body check so that we can really, you know, right. guide a person into the, you know, into skin cancer prevention. Yeah. The other issue is really the cost sometimes of these, of, of the products that we, pr- that we as dermatologists prescribe, you know, a lot of times they're not covered and I'm finding that more and more. Mm-hmm. And it's really frustrating. And to really, you know, I'd love to, I'd want to give a patient a certain product, but it's not covered. So then I have to, you know, figure out another way to find a product for them. Yeah. I mean, I'm totally sensitive to that. However, I'm someone that spends money on skincare. And some of these serums are like, you know, a hundred, 150, $180. The Altrino that you prescribed me it was 115, but right. it has done more for my skin than any facial. I mean, I I kind of feel like I don't know why I didn't do it sooner. Like, 
I don't know what the barrier was for me. I'm so happy that I'm using it now. But retinol is like such a game changer. It really is. And people don't realize there's science behind that. Right. You know, we know that this really is anti-aging. We, you know, we know that this really makes a difference in fine wrinkles, texture, tone, you know, really Everyone should be on, as long as you're not trying to have a baby, right. all women and men should be on it. Yeah. I think maybe I was like concerned about the amount of chemicals because I try to keep my skincare routine quite natural, but it's retin. Like, can, maybe could you break down what yeah, retinol I mean, is? Yeah. So retinol is actually different from retin-A. Okay. Retin-A, which is what you have, Altrino, yes. is, a, is really a tretinoin-derived agent. Okay. Tretin, both of these are derived from vitamin A. Okay. But retinol is higher up in the um, in the cascade going down to the tretinoin. So you really, the tretinoins is the actual product that you need as opposed to retinol. Retinol is sold over the counter. The retin-A's or tretinoin is available via prescription only. Okay. So would you recommend that people just ask their dermatologist to write them a prescription? If they can tolerate it, yes. Yeah. And, and I think that's the beauty of Altrino is that it's one of, it's one of the ones that really is well tolerated. Right. It's not, because retin, retin-A or tretinoins can be irritating, yep. can be drying to mm-hmm. the skin. But that, you don't have to use it every night. You use it, you know, two to three nights a week. Like, oh, yeah. you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday or something. Totally. Yeah, I definitely alternate. And then when I know I'm going to be in the sun a lot, I actually just ease up because I just get nervous in general. Like, I feel like my breakouts have reduced, but I feel like my skin texture is better too. Totally. We know it is. Because again, there's science behind it. Right. Really, and, and the younger you start, the better. This is something you really want to continue until you're uh-huh. you know, really forever. There's it, no reason to stop unless we find something better. So, okay. So retinol, I was sleeping on. Is there, are there any other things that you just feel like you recommend for everyone to like make their skin their best that I need to get a prescription for? <laughs> you know, no, I really think um, the tretinoin or the retin-A, okay. Altrino, really okay. is my number one go-to. Okay, know? yeah. You know, that's part of repairing the skin. Certainly, there are a lot of vitamin C serums out there. The, I like the vitamin C serums. Mm-hmm. I like some of the hyaluronic acid serums. Which brands do you like? Um, you know what? I like um, SkinCeuticals, okay. Vitamin C, E, Ferulic. That's a that's a really nice brand. Yeah. Um, the hyaluronic acids. I think Estroderm has one that's pretty nice. Okay. You know, so they're you know they're really they're a lot of nice vitamin C's out there. Another I- vitamin C product that I like is uh it's it's um a, a Spanish company called Isden. Oh and, yes, um, they have. A, I think my mom had that. Right. Yeah. So it's a vitamin C ampule called Flavo C. That's a it's a really nice product. Yeah, that one's really really nice. I feel like a lot of the it's fer, fer, ferulic, ferulic acid, yes. acid and vitamin C. It's like it doesn't smell great. They smell horrible. Which, and like, you doesn't make the experience that great. But if it's doing something good for the skin, then right. I guess that's good. Yeah. I mean, you just have to get used to the smell. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So now I'm, I have the comments open. Um, I have you guys covered. There are so many of them. Oh my gosh. There are so many. Perioral dermatitis. Hairy oral dermatitis. Hairy oral dermatitis. And that's kind of like acne around the mouth. Right. Certainly it's an acne or even a rosacea-like um, okay. eruption around the mouth. That can be very difficult to treat. One of the places that we start is, you know, looking at your products, looking at your, your toothpaste, mm. looking at your cleansers. Are you using any sort of hydrocortisone or steroid cream around the mouth? That's one place to start. But sometimes we really need an anti- either an antibiotic gel to treat this mm-hmm. or sometimes an oral antibiotic. Or sometimes we need some sort of a sulfacetamide wash. Okay. Yeah. And it, for some people, I guess it's cyclical. Like they feel like it comes up around their period. It, it certainly can be cyclical. Okay. And that's what, and it's really it can be very recalcitrant, very difficult to treat. Yeah. So sometimes you do need to stay on some sort of topical antibiotic. Really. Okay. Because one of the questions was, do you need to see a dermatologist to treat it? Or yes, you treat you it do. at home. No, okay. you, you really should see a dermatologist for that condition. Okay. Okay. Hormonal acne in late 20s, treating it the natural way. That's tough. You know, mm, the natural way. I'm not sure if there is a natural way to treat hormonal acne. Yeah. You know, I mean, we can start with cleansers. You can, you know, start with some of the, you know, over-the-counter cleansers. I'm not really a fan of tea tree um, oil. I, in my hands, I've never seen it really do a whole lot. Mm. So I don't know if I could really speak to the natural way okay. for hormonal acne. I think so. I think a lot of my audience like is into natural beauty. Yes. So a lot of these questions are reflecting that. Um, and also, I mean, I think I'm super honest about the fact that for me and like my journey with natural beauty, like I have made mistakes. I have broken out and paid the consequences. And 
it's kind of like, you know, cooking, like it's, you, you have to just figure it out along the way. But I think a lot of people need to be more careful about spot testing Yes, before they just go in blind. Definitely. I would spot test maybe behind the ear, but certainly it can be trial and error for natural products. Yeah. And I think also, I always say that there are like lightweight things you can do, like a yogurt and honey mask probably isn't going to break you out if you're using, you know, natural yogurt and like, you know, a high quality honey. Okay. How to get rid of texture and acne scars. Okay, texture and acne scars. There are many different ways to get rid of texture and acne scars. Again, Retin-A is the place to start because that really helps with texture and tone. It's going to take a good six months, though, before you see see results. Um, In addition, certainly chemical peels help. Microdermabrasion helps. Um, Hyperpigmentation. Retin-A also helps with hyperpigmentation. Okay, good to know. Okay, this is a great question. In which order should you apply your routine? I've read mixed things like apply the thinnest to thickest or apply based on the molecule size of the product. Order of products I wonder about are toners, retinols, serums, hyaluronic acid, and moisturizer. First of all, that's too many steps, you know? (laughs) You know, certainly what I always recommend after your cleansing, you start with the medicine first. So if you're going to use a Retin-A, you're going to put your your Retin-A on. And then you're going to apply your serum or your hyaluronic acid. Before putting on the Retin-A, I've read that like you have to wait for it to dry, like basically wait like a minute or so. Is that? You know, I think that you, that was that used to be the recommendation years ago when when the Retin-A's tend to, tended to be a little bit more harsh. Okay. Nowadays we have better you know molecules that are absorbed easier into the skin, like the Altrino. So no, you don't have to. Wait. Okay. Good to know. I should also say, though, if you need a moisturizer with Retin-A, you certainly can put a moisturizer on top. Obviously, one that's not going to clog pores, so non-comedogenic. You know, CeraVe PM, a pretty inexpensive product, you know, that you can use at night. I love CeraVe PM. And that's actually a great transition into a question someone sent in, which was, what are your favorite drugstore skincare brands. Like if you're in the drugstore, what are your go-tos? Right. So, you know, I actually, I love the CeraVe brand. Same. You know, I love La Roche-Posay. Okay. That, that brand has really, they have very nice cleansers, mm-hmm. nice moisturizers, sunscreens. Another brand that I'm learning a little bit more about is a Biodermy brand. They, they seem to have some oh, nice Oh, yeah. They have a nice, actually an oil control cleanser called Cebium flo- um, Foaming Cleanser that okay. I like. I, and I love they have a Missler, right, Missler water, which I'm like, it's new to me, but I love it. I, I love it too. I actually love theirs. And um, Isden, they also have a nice Missler solution that you can use as a toner. Yeah. So to- makeup so, remover. I feel like toners are confusing for people. I'm using, do you know the brand Paula's Choice? I use a Paula's Choice. It's a um, liquid, it's a BHA liquid exfoliant that I use as a toner maybe two or three nights a week and not the same days that I do the um, Altrino. And toners can also be like a witch hazel, right? Like tone, there's, I feel like there's such a range of types of toners and it's like kind of confusing like what they do. Could right. you help us yeah. understand? I, you know, you know it's, it's interesting that you say you use a BHA one. So I, I think I tend to like toners more for my oily prone patients. Mm. You know, I really do think that they help with the oil control. And I, I do love the BHAs or the AHAs, mm-hmm. the alpha hydroxy acids, because they too, they're adding, they're helping to exfoliate. Yep. So I think that's the position of a toner is really just to help exfoliate. Okay. So a toner that's like a witch hazel, that's not really exfoliating, is it? It's it, more of just like a second clean? It's just like a second clean, really. Okay. I feel like you're not going to be into this, but do you have any thoughts on oil cleansing? Yeah. Oil cleansing, you know, I love oil cleansing. Right. I will I will admit yeah. I like make my own and I love it, but No, there is a place for oil cleansers for sure. And again, not the acne prone skin, but certainly, mm-hmm. you know, and even with the acne prone skin, there's certainly ingredients. Sometimes a sunflower seed oil can be used in a cleanser and, and you're washing it off. So it's not really staying on the skin. So it's also so it helps with hydration. Okay. Good to know. What do you do when your new birth control triggers acne? <laughs> SOS. You see a dermatologist. Yeah. No, but really, you know what? You can somewhat expect that. You know, you're adding these exogenous or these foreign hormones to your body. So some, I always advise patients that it takes a good three to four months of really regulating your body with the birth control. So you can break out for three to four months and we can certainly hold your hand and guide you through it yeah. with, with a, with a regimen. Is it worth switching birth control if it's making your skin break out that much? No, that's a, I think that's an, a common mistake that women, you know, mm. often fall into in that they they're breaking out. 
and then they want to immediately switch. Right. Well, by immediately switching, you're putting yourself back again another three to four months because your skin really has to get used. To, your body has to get really get used, used to, to that this new hormone. Does the same thing happen when you go off of birth control? Same thing happens. Oh when you gosh, go off of birth I've control. been on birth control for so long. I have. I mean, I it's like I haven't even imagined a world not being on it. But yeah, it's probably going to be an adjustment. It is an adjustment for most people, and sometimes it isn't. You know, yeah. but. But for most people, it is. And you just have to, again, you know, weather the storm. Yes. Lots of questions here about light therapy and anti-aging and eye creams. Is it worth it? Eye creams are tough because we have to realize the reason, you know, for the discoloration under the eyes. Yeah. A lot of people think it's just, a, you know, hyperpigmentation. It's not. No, it's- I, I have had dark circles under my eyes, I think, since I was 12. It's like I can sleep eight hours. I can sleep four hours. I old like I just have dark circles under my eyes. Yeah, exactly. And, and a lot of times it's really we see their blood vessels that show through this thin mm. skinned area. And that causes what we call a Tyndall effect. So it makes it look even darker than it is. And there's really nothing that we found yet that addresses those blood vessels. You know, we've tried vitamin K creams. We've tried caffeine based creams. They really don't do it. Unfortunately, mm. the best treatment is really probably fillers. But if you're going to do fillers in that area, you really, really need to go to someone who knows what they're doing. Because if not, blindness is is a rare, but obviously serious side effect. Yeah. I, my God, I, I just can't even imagine how I would feel if I went to get, you know, something as petty as like dark circles fixed and, you know, you end up like, but it happens to people and people need to be aware of that and do their research and not go bargain hunting when it comes to things like that. I have like very fine lines under my eyes. And I like, as I've looked into it, it seems like there's not a lot that can be done. It's fillers. That's, that's a really, it's in the filler family. You know, you need a a very light filler and you just, you really superficially fill those lines. Mm. But you know, again, that's, it's a little less, you know, dangerous, but yeah. certainly there are risks. Which fillers do you recommend? You know, fillers, for, so fillers really depend on the location. Okay. So under the eyes, you want to use something like Bellatero. You want to use something possibly like Restylane Silk. Okay. If you're filling in, you know, nasal labial fold lines, so the lines around the nose, you want to use something like Restylane Lift or Define or mm-hmm. Juvederm Ultra Plus. Voluma is another great one. Oh, I've seen I've seen Voluma. I think maybe in your waiting room. <laughs> but is this something that young women electing to do fillers? And I now hear this term preventative Botox, where girls as young as twenty one are getting Botox because they're like, oh, the wrinkles will never form if I start now. I haven't gone down this path. I'm I'm just thirty, and I feel like when I I don't have that many lines on my forehead. Need, no, you don't need to go down that. But do you do you? Are, are younger, have you found that it, as you've been practicing, younger and younger people are coming in and asking for these fillers? Certainly, mm. you know, and I real I tend to turn young women away. I mean, certainly there are women who do need it, who do right. need Botox in their 20s. Right. But that's few and far between, yeah. you know, and the, the issue of preventative Botox, you know, to be quite honest, and I hope I don't get flooded with 21 year olds looking for yeah. Botox. But I mean, there is there is something really? to be said okay. about starting earlier. But 21 is too, you don't need it at 21. You know, you really don't, you know. Doesn't it though become very expensive in terms of maintenance? I mean, how much is a syringe of Botox? Right. So, right. A syringe of Botox can run you anywhere from, you know, $700, $800, depending on the doctor's office, number one. And then you have to realize that Botox doesn't last very long. Right. You have to keep it up. So every four months, depending on the person, we'll say four to seven months, you really need to come back in for your your touch up. Yeah. What about um, like lasers and light therapy? Do you feel like those are effective for anti-aging? Certainly lasers are. And I think more and more what I'm finding is like some of the the radio frequency micro needling is certainly helping with anti-aging. Fraxel laser helps with anti-aging. I think in terms of like IPLs, which is an intense pulse light, skin of color, black skin, that's not for us. We should Mm, not. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. And what are the lights doing? Like, I guess I just don't even understand it on a scientific level. Like, right. what is happening? Right. So on a scientific level, they're actually generating new collagen, you know, by by disrupting the skin. It's generating new collagen deep. That new collagen is really what's going to help to keep us looking younger. Interesting. So I know I feel like I, I came back to you with so much intention before my wedding because a lot of women before their wedding are like, I'm going to be photographed from every angle and I want to look amazing. 
what are like, if you have a big event or something that you know a lot of people are going to be looking at you, like what's the one treatment that you think makes a, a big difference? And I also know you have to be careful. Like you can't get a chemical peel before it, you're a big thing because you're going to be peeling and it's going to be a mess. Yeah. So that's where I like microdermabrasion. You know, okay. there's a microdermabrasion machine that we have called Silk Peel. What's nice about it is it infuses either a vitamin C or like a hyaluronic acid, so something hydrating or something and um for hyperpigmentation. So that's something where you see immediate results. You get a, an immediate glow because you're ex really exfoliating that skin. Mm -hmm. In addition, you're adding in some sort of, you know, serum. Okay. Okay. And how do you feel about kind of like these expensive salon, like spa facials? You know, depending on how expensive they are, you know, I mean, again, it really depends on who, who is, who's performing these. Yes. You know, there's some that are amazing and if they know what they're doing, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, sometimes it's fine to treat yourself to that. I've, I haven't gotten a facial since, I mean, it was maybe two years ago and I just, they were doing extractions and I literally had like the worst acne scarring. And I'm like, of course it wasn't probably someone who wasn't, you know, familiar with black skin, but it's like some of these extractions, it's like, just leave it there. You don't need to like suck things out from like the deepest layers of my skin. I totally agree. And again, again, it's the right hands. They have to know what they're doing. They have to know the skin that they're dealing with. Yes. And a lot of times that's not the case. You know, the, a lot of the estheticians, you know, some oh, have years and years of experience, that's but some have thing. eight months experience. I know. Well, I also, through doing this podcast, like learned that everyone has an esthetician. <laughs> like what is an esthetician and why does everyone have one? But that's, I guess, maybe... What what is an esthetician? You know, officially? an esthetician, right? I think it's a person who um who who does some sort of training in skin and skin okay. care, and they are you know equipped to do to handle you know minor acne and chemical okay. peels. Got it. Things but they can't nature. prescribe anything. They cannot. They are not physicians. As I said, it. it's generally an eight month course okay. to become an esthetician. Okay, interesting. What are some skincare myths that you would like to debunk? Well, definitely number one and number two are you really, really, really must use sunscreen. We all should use yeah. sunscreen. We all should practice safe sun practices and in terms of sun avoidance at the mm -hmm. highest time of the day, 10 and 3, um, wearing, you know, sun hats, wearing rash guards if you're at the beach, sitting yeah. under, you know, sitting under a, um umbrella. Yeah. So, so I think that's one myth is that people think Black people just don't need sunscreen. Yeah, no. And we do. It's so funny because I think a lot of people criticize people with great skin for giving this advice, but a lot of people think that this whole drink a lot of water thing is like BS. <laughs> it's, how much truth is there to what you eat and how much water you drink and how much sleep you're getting in terms of your skin's right. appearance? So, yes. Yeah, so certainly sleep is important. A well-balanced diet, diet yeah. is important. You know, omega-3s, salmon, some flax seeds, you know, things like that. Walnuts, if you can, yeah. green leafy vegetables. Those are all important for healthy skin. Any but supplements that you like? You know, I'm not a big supplement, supplement fan. Okay. I'm really not. You think you should just get it through the diet? I do. Right. Is that we need many, many steps, you know, that we need, you know, mm. six steps to beauty. And again, you can, you, we need to simplify this. Yeah. We'll cut it down to three. And those three should be cleanse. Cleanse. So we're going to prepare the skin by cleansing. Okay. Right? We're going to protect the skin by using sunscreen. And then we're going to repair the skin by using some sort of antioxidant, some sort of vitamin C, some sort of retin-A. Okay. I'm guilty of, I use an essence now. I use an essence, I use a serum and then a moisturizer. <laughs> and then in between, I'll either do the BHA or the Retin-A. Well, what I always have to say, I'm willing to work with you too. Your skin looks amazing. <laughs> Thank you. You know, and I'm not going to, if, as long as you're not doing harm, we're not going to, you know, alter your skin routine. Sure. Do you know this company called The Ordinary? They pretty much like market like straight up chemicals, like BHA, AHA, it's, I'll, I'll show you what some of the branding after, but a lot of people are doing like pretty harsh facial treatments at home, like really high AHA. And I just worry that they're doing a lot more than they need to and maybe probably damaging their skin, right? I, I'm actually glad that you brought that up. I think the, my really, my main concern, maybe not so much with the AHAs, but it's really the TCA, trichloroacetic mm. acid. So people are purchasing TCA online. Mm. And they are burning their skin. I mean, I had a patient really who had like second degree burns up and down her thighs. Wow. And it takes months for that to heal. Yeah. You know, because and, and months for it to heal. Yeah. Scary. Okay, let's go to the positive. What are your like <laughs> favorite, favorite, it could be skincare products or treatments that you just absolutely love? So I think, you know, 
a life, another life altering procedure is really laser hair removal. Mm. So for people who are hairy. I'm like, I'm hairless. Yeah. But you're right. Well, that's awesome. But for people who are hairy, especially in the face, you know, a lot of women tend to pluck. That's the worst thing we can do. Yes. And there's this whole face shaving trend now. Do you know about this? It's like, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, there's a whole uh, dermaplaning. Derma right, exactly. Well, I was like, when did this become a trend? Right, yeah, not necessary. Okay. You know, but but really I'm more concerned about the plucking of the skin because that causes hyperpigmentation. Mm-hmm. It causes inflammation. It causes these bumps that, you know, on the skin. Ingrown hairs. Ingrown hairs, yeah. you know. So really laser hair removal, I really, I think that's, it's again, it's a life altering treatment. It has to be done, you know, it, by a person who knows what they're doing. I think the one question to ask the, the place that you go is that, do they know how to treat a, a complication? Because if mm. they don't know, know how to treat a complication, you really need to move on. Yeah. What, what would be a complication? Burn. You can really yeah. get serious burns from laser if not done properly, especially mm. on skin of color. Skin of color, we really need to use a YAG, Y-A-G, laser. That's really the best laser for okay. our skin. But in addition to using a YAG laser, we need people who know what they're doing and know how to treat complications. Okay. Oh my gosh. I feel you're giving so much knowledge on this episode. It's great. Any any other um, kind of beauty treatments that you love? Yeah. You know what? Actually, I love chemical peels and microdermabrasion. Yeah. You know, again, you can start, you know, with a low percentage of a, of a salicylic acid and titrate up. And it really, it really does make a major change in the skin texture, tone, discoloration. How often would you recommend people do chemical peels? You know, so it really depends on the issue. If you're, mm-hmm. if you're acne prone skin, really bad acne prone, you can do it every two weeks, every two to four weeks. If you're someone like yourself, you know, quarterly is fine. Every, you know, every six months is fine. Okay. I'm like deciding like, I'm like, do I want to do a chemical peel or do I want to do microneedling? I think I want to do microneedling just because it feels exciting and new. <laughs> no, you know, microneedling definitely, it, it goes deeper. So it definitely affects mm. more of a change. Okay. Okay. So it's interesting. You know, I did my um, Restylane under my eyes. Now it's been so long. It's 100% gone. And I actually really liked it afterwards. And I was like, I could see a difference. But then just like the cost of it. And then literally all like my friends, my family, like my husband, he was like, you look exactly the same. And I'm like, but I didn't do it for you. I did it for me. But then I was just like, okay, it's just not worth the cost. But I also understand how it could be really frustrating to spend so much money on creams and facials and all this stuff when a lot of these cosmetic like injectables can be really game changing as well. They really can. You know, sometimes you really need to go to the injectables because, you know, Cosmetics, cosmeceuticals can only do but so much. Right. What are the things that you like think for people that are really considering it? Like, when do you think injections are good? So injections, you need injections if you really want to slightly, because it's not going to change who you are and you don't want it to change right. who you are. Right. Because that's the other thing, because that, you know, that's a scary look. Mm-hmm. So if you need, you know, a slight filling under the eyes, a slight filling in the nasal labial fold. I mean, I think that's the time to consider an injection. And again, there are some young women who, you know, who might need fillers under the eyes or mm-hmm. nasal labial fold fillers, you know, so it's not about an age thing. It's really about, you know, really being evaluated by a dermatologist and letting them guide you into what you might need. Yes. I'm seeing a lot of young women with lip fillers and it rarely looks natural in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I mean, thankfully, that's not something that I see so much in Black women or women of color. Yes, yeah. It's, it's more the white women and and some women want huge lips. lips and I know. the irony that it was like mocked for so long and now it's like what they want. Exactly. Yeah. But you know that too, you have to be careful. You can certainly overfill a lip to really where the lip itself looks transparent and, and horrible. Yeah. So, you know, with everything, really, even with fillers, I say less is always better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's something beautiful about aging gracefully as well. People are so concerned with looking young that it's like you can end up looking kind of bizarre. You you really can. You really can. And, you know, again, fillers in the right hands can really certainly soften a look, tweak a look, not alter your look. You really don't want to alter your look. Right, right. So what's in your skincare cabinet? Like if I were to like open your bathroom drawer, like what what are the products that you're using and love? Right. So I, I love Altrino. Okay. And I love vitamin C and that's, oh, and I, I also love a glycolic acid um, cleanser. So I use Glytone. I've used Glytone for okay. years, but you know, Glytone can be 
somewhat harsh on some skin types, but for me and my oily skin, it works well for me. Because okay. again, that's starting my day by exfoliating my skin. I have a sunscreen. I like L to MD. The UV clear is yes. one. But I also like, you know, Isden has a nice uh, brush, brush on okay. sun powder, I should say. Powder sunscreen. That's, nice. that's lovely. Okay. The El Trino. So I will admit, <laughs> I didn't like read the directions, which is, I know, really bad of me. But like, First few times I put it on, I was literally like putting it on like moisturizer. And then I read like it was like a pea size amount. Well, not only that, I hope I (laughs) I informed you of that because that's one thing. You did. (laughs) You did. Um, And then along the way, I forgot. And then I was breaking out. And then I was like doing all this research. And they were like, it's the purge period. It's the purging. And then I was like, "Mm, this doesn't feel like purging. This feels like a breakout. And then I looked at the box and it was like a pea size amount. And I was like, Dr. Jones fully told me that. I also give out a handout that says pea-sized amount because people think more is better. better. It's never better. And it's certainly not with retinoids because you really can irritate. So with retinoid use, we don't want you red. We don't want you irritated. We don't want you burned. You may peel a little bit initially. And the peeling should lessen over time. Yeah. But I do think it's also confusing how so many, there's so much like conversation online about uh, your skin purging and like, oh, it's like the the worst part is like the storm before the, and it's like, not necessary. Yeah. Okay. So that's something that's basically, don't listen to that. Exactly. Okay. Your thoughts on clean beauty. Right. Yeah. Clean beauty is all the rage now. It is. And, you know, basically, you know, all beauty p- products should really be about clean beauty, right? Mm-hmm. Clean is really about adhering to simple, as we've said, again, non-toxic ingredients that get the job done. I mean, that's basically what clean beauty is, Yeah, you know? So again, as we said earlier, less ingredients. Yes. Mm-hmm. I do think though, a lot of, for me, what like stands out to me as like just absolutely not clean beauty is when there are added dyes and fragrances that are just like so unnecessary. Right. So one of the things that I make myself because it's just so easy to do is like I make my own body scrub. It's just oils and sugar. And sometimes I melt a little shea butter in it, but it's it's like to go and buy a body scrub that's been dyed purple and has all of this fragrance. synthetic fragrance in it. Mm-hmm. It's just like not a good feeling. So I think that a lot of the clean stuff too, like especially body care, you can make you're on your own. I, I agree with you. And and we said earlier, again, if it has 20 products, that's not something you want to, you know, you want to use. If it yes. has 20 different ingredients, I should say, I'm sorry, not yeah. products. And in addition, as you said, fragrance. Fragrance generally is not good. I know, I know. My challenge is that I am a makeup wearer and I love makeup and I think it's so fun, but I haven't found like a clean, be- like a foundation that I really like. And I know that the NARS foundation probably isn't, isn't the most. No, I actually, I actually tend to like the NARS. Oh, really? Okay. And, you know, and I think we've been seeing, I've been seeing some pretty good results with Fenty as well. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Okay. I'm happy to hear that. Cause I always wonder, you know, you do all this skincare at night and in the morning and then you put makeup on top and you just don't want the makeup to like take away from the skincare. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah, you really have to be careful because there are makeups that tend to clog and tend to cause um, acne problems. So you're right. Are there any like makeup lines or brands or even like types of makeup that you've seen consistently cause issues for people? You know what? I think there was a time when MAC changed Mm -hmm. their formulation and invariably people would come in saying that they're using MAC foundation on a regular basis. And we were really seeing a lot of a lot of acne prone issues. Wow. The changing of the formulations, though, it's crazy. I remember you recommended and it like used to be my favorite eye cream is the TNS um, illuminating eye cream. I loved it. And then like they changed their formula. And it's just like a different eye cream now. Why do, what, what is it just they change the relationships with the factories change? Like why do formulations change? It's I, so I think frustrating. That's it, right. Yeah. I feel like they should let consumers know they, if they change their formulation. They certainly should. Yeah. I, I, that's so, not in their best interest. Exactly. Exactly. Which goes back to this whole thing where like the, I think people just need to remember that the beauty industry is a commercial industry and the bottom line is their bottom line, right? They are for profit. Exactly right. Well, well said. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Let me make sure. Oh, wow. This is a new one. Can I use fermented rice water as a toner on my oily, acne-prone skin? You know what? I, I, I would say yes. I don't think there'd be a problem with that, but I have no experience with that. Okay. Yeah. I've never even heard of that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh, someone wrote TMI, but, um, 
they use the peach emoji, which means butt, <laughs> but, right? <laughs> butt skin problems. Mm-hmm. Is that something that oh, you've seen? Oh, definitely. Definitely. So, you know, just like the face, the butt certainly would can benefit from chemical peels. Oh, interesting. From retinoids. And a lot of times even like a benzoyl peroxide based product is actually pretty good for the butt because it's a, it's a harsher product and the butt can certainly handle that. Harsher and that more drying and can be more irritating. Right. Okay. Interesting. Why do some of us develop moles, spots, and or freckles on our faces as we age and should we remove them? So yeah, moles, um, freckles, and spots are really all genetically based. Um, And should you remove them? No, not necessarily. But you certainly should establish a relationship with the dermatologist so those spots can be examined. Okay. Okay. And then are there any resources that you recommend for people just to kind of like, I'm always talking about like, you should self-educate and figure out, just learn as much as you can so that you can make more informed decisions. Are there any resources that you recommend for people? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I Typically, I'm the resource, but I yes. guess, you know, and I have to say people come in having already done their own research on, you know, what I call Dr. Google. Um, you know, probably I would go to the American Academy of Dermatology website. Mm. You know, a lot of times they're really, you know, good. Inf- there's good information there about, you know, skin care and skin health. Yes. And in terms of products like skincare products or even makeup products are there people that like you just know you trust because i feel like for me like magazines goodbye like you're selling your ads even like some of the beauty influencers are being paid by the companies like it's hard to even find a realistic source do you have like the people that you go to you trust your dermatologist, right? Yeah. And you trust that they've done their research that, they, that they've attended their conferences and have kept themselves up to date I think that would be my best answer. I feel like those conferences must be really fun. They really are. You, you probably would love it. <laughs> I feel like I would love it. But I also feel like a group of dermatologists, like, does anyone even drink? People are probably like, I can't. It's going to dehydrate my skin. Or do, do you guys have fun and let loose? Certainly have fun and let loose. Okay, that's good to know. There's that's a time know. for that. <laughs> well, my final question, I ask this to all of my guests. I hope you don't mind if I ask you, but it is, when do you feel most beautiful? That's an excellent question. You know, I think I feel most beautiful when 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 I'm happy, when um, my family's happy. Yeah, I, I really think that's it. When, you know, everyone's healthy in my in my family, in my life. So I think yes. that's when I feel most beautiful. That's great. That's great. And are you prepared to have like your office flooded with calls when this gets released? I, I am prepared. <laughs> we'll try our best. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing all of this knowledge. I feel like so much more informed after this hour and also excited to book my microneedling appointment. But this has been really great. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. It was great fun for me as well. Great. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 